hello there and welcome to Deconstructor Fun's This Week in Game podcast, a podcast episode number 52. So yes, we'll be running this news podcast for a year now and it's going pretty well. There's a lot of you listening to it, so we'll, I, think, I think we'll keep on doing this. So we got four articles and three people covering it. The people covering this particular episode are myself, Mishka Katkoff. As always, as always, during these 52 episodes, Joe Kim and dear Canadian Adam Telfer. I don't know why I said Canadian, but he's very dear. Anyways, so the four articles we have today are uh, Fortnite's U.S. July revenues being down by 52%. The second article, again, with a lot of numbers, is going to be app revenues climbing by 23% year over year. And we're going to kind of analyze a little bit deeper behind the numbers in this fine article on TechCrunch. Uh, the third article is an interview with Blizzard's president, and he's talking about making sure nothing changes. Uh, powerful message. And the fourth article is about playable worlds and their different mindset on engagement when they're where they're instead of looking at, you know, the day one, day threes, day sevens, day 30, they actually only look about at a day 30 and, and really kind of that long-term engagement. So four pretty interesting articles. We don't have Eric Kress on the podcast right now and we miss him dearly. Uh, he'll be back in the next episode. But till then, please enjoy this episode. And if you're enjoying this year in games, <laughs> please uh, please do subscribe and, and please do give us those five stars. They mean a lot. That's it. Thank you. And before we kick off, I want to also give a shout out to Go Practice. Now, I can explain this in my own words or I can I can read through what what uh, what the platform is about. So in my own words, it's basically this simulator where you start doing different cases. And these cases are a lot about uh, different challenges that a startup might may encounter. And all these cases are very data driven. So you have to make different decisions based on based on like scenarios that come up. Like there's a CFO comes in and he wants to know what's going on with the sales of, of this and that SKU and you're kind of going deeper into the data and trying to analyze what your e-commerce company is doing and how you can really impact to grow the company. So Go Practice is an online course, but it's not really an ordinary course. It's more like a it's a simulator for the workflow of a of a product manager in a product company. Now, whether you are a product manager, you want to kind of hone on your skills, or whether you are somebody who used to be a product manager, like myself, and he wants or she wants to kind of rehearse some things and kind of get back into the groove like I did with the simulator, or whether you're new to product management and really that data-driven thinking, I think this course is excellent. I think this course is, uh, I, I got a lot out of it. That's why I'm giving them a shout out. And, and a lot of people on Deconstructor Farm platform ran through this course. Uh, it takes quite a while, but you can do it over the time. And and I really like because there's a, there's a plot. There's actually a story. It's not just cases like, you know, calculate this and look at that. Uh, I like that it's based on true stories. So you kind of feel that you are working in the company. And I like that there's just so many different case studies. Now, um, uh, the platform is called gopractice.io. A lot of companies have used this. A lot of game companies, companies that you know have used this. A lot of game companies will use this in the future. So I suggest, you know, either you take this course or, or your company takes this course to kind of become more uh, product savvy and data savvy. This is good for everybody. And 
if you do want this, um, just mention that you come in from Deconstructor of Fun and there's going to be a, a pretty nice discount. So yeah, just try GoPractice.io. And actually, I didn't read any of any of the text sent to me to promote this, but I, I really do like it. I, I really like it. So, so give it a go. So, JK, um, do you want to start talking about the uh, the Hong Kong prote- protests and the um, the Blizzard case? Is that something you wanted to to kick off with? <laughs> uh, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, uh... <laughs> I don't know anything about that. So, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think we're gonna have a guest post for that because we don't know anything about it. I believe it was some kind of a Hearthstone tournament, and the winner. Um, I mean, this was the most trending. The, the the article that trended the most and the article that he punted uh, yeah. so 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 um i believe it's about um a person who won the heart hearthstone tournament and he was uh very politically charged as you would imagine since it was in hong kong and what i believe happened like please uh connect with me if i'm wrong and we'll we'll revert this but what i believe happened he he um made some quotes, uh, re- political quotes. And what happened was the blizzard actually um, took away his prize money. But in the latest turn of events, I believe they returned the prize money for this uh, Hearthstone player. And um, I don't know if things are great, but uh, looking at the images from Hong Kong, things are not that great. So yeah, that's that's all I know. And I think we shouldn't <laughs> dive deeper into the topics though we don't know that much. Unlike... Fortnite's U.S. July revenues being down by fifty-two percent. Am I right? Yeah, you're right. Anyway, before we jump into that, let, let's let's do a, a really quick update here. First of all, this we're, we're on Twig fifty-two, so we we've got one year of Twigs out. So that's you know oh, kind, of a, shit. kind of a milestone to to be proud of, I, I guess. It's a, it's a it's a sound milestone. I remember when we started doing this, and the whole idea was that that you weren't happy. With well, the podcast that, yeah, no, no, you, you weren't, no, let's put it this way. You were not happy with the podcast that we recorded with you talking yep. about uh, using IP yep. and we recorded that in Helsinki on site. And then we came up with this, like, let's just talk about news every week. And now we've been talking about news for a year. You've been talking about news for 52 episodes. Like, I think I've missed at least one third. You've been... <laughs> You'll be deep. You'll be neck deep into gaming news, just talking about them every week. So how do you feel, JK? <laughs> it feels good. I, I don't know if I'm that much better. I, th- I think I'm better than when I started, but definitely it's good because there's, you know, we've, we've been able to get a lot of listeners and there's just something to talk about a lot of the conferences and events that we go to where, mm-hmm. you know, when, when we meet with folks that have listened to the podcast and, um, and it, gives, it gives us something to discuss. So that, that's been great. One other update I wanted to make is I will be heading out to Montreal for the Iron Source DPM forum later this week. So if there's anyone in Montreal out there that wants to hang out, please uh, hit me up. It'd be cool to. to not anyone. Not anyone. JK, <laughs> let's 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 relax a little bit on anyone. <laughs> you have to have some, some kind of criteria. Who do you want to hang out with? There's a ton of great studios in Montreal. Yeah, uh, product managers, people in, you know, mobile free-to-play. In, anyone interesting? Okay. okay. All right. It's anyway, a broad Fortnite. array of friends. <laughs> right. Specifically, he did not go PC console. He's like, no, <laughs> definitely not. Yeah. Nobody yeah. from there. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, let's jump into Fortnite. Uh, so gamesindustry.biz uh, reported uh, Fortnite revenues are down 50, 52% year over year. Um, it's referring to a company called Edison Trends reporting that the revenue, um, and it was looking actually at July 2018 to July 2019. Uh, the reason why is that they're definitely cherry picking a bit. Uh, they're cherry picking July 2018 because it was actually one of the big peaks from 2018. Um, and of course, 52% sounds a lot scarier. Um, the methodology that they're using is you're taking a pretty small sample of transactions and just kind of scaling it up to the transactions that they actually have access to. Um, but kind of like taking out Edison trends, um, just looking at mobile revenue and saying, assuming that mobile revenue kind of carries over to PC and console, uh, we can see that it's on a similar curve. Um, so if we compare August 2018 to August 2019, we're looking at 38 million to 25 million. So roughly about a 34% drop uh, year over year. Um, so my take on this stuff and in terms of the this, this state of Fortnite is that Fortnite definitely has peaked. Um, and I think that's kind of the, the reality of it. Um, it's as big as it ever could be. Um, and Epic was smart to be diversifying while it was still on its kind of meteoric rise. So what goes up must come down. And it's now just Epic trying to slow that decay as much as possible through live operations, which they are absolute experts at and doing an amazing job. Um, but it looks like they're going to be pushing even harder, um, especially over the, the next year and especially over the next season as big competitors come up. So Apex just launched a new season with a whole new map. Uh, Call of Duty is launching, of course, a new game, and you've still got games like PUBG as well as new mobile games coming out. And I think season 11 will be absolutely crucial. Uh, winning kids back, going to school against other battle royale offerings. And I think the big thing here, um, if you've been sucked up into the news, literally, um, season 11 is just about to launch and the entire map of Fortnite actually just got sucked up into a black hole. Like really, like if you turn on Fortnite right now, you would go into a black screen as soon as you started the round. And they've been dropping really weird hints. There's like weird numbers in the game and all this kind of stuff. Clearly, um, the Epic devs have been having a lot of fun with this because the rumor is, is that Chapter 2 um, is going to be starting with Season 11, and that will be a whole new map. So similar to Apex and Pudgy, what I'd actually expect to happen is that there, um, these types of new maps are going to be the number one tools that devs are using to really drive that re-engagement. So we should see a good, strong spike here for Fortnite, um, hopefully, but it's, it's doubtful that it will ever reach that 2018 peak again. Um, but I'm going to open up to you guys in terms of what do you, what would you do if you were Epic in this situation and do you think Fortnite can actually reach its peak again? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I can take that. So for me, I, I agree with you that, um, that I don't think Fortnite will reach its 2018 peak. You know, it's just, just anecdotally, you know, just talking to, to kids, uh, you know, not that I hang out with elementary <laughs> school kids all the time, but I've got kids. <laughs> But, it, you know, it, it's not that they're not playing Fortnite, but it's definitely they're not playing as much or not as many of the kids are playing as much. So anecdotally, and you also kind of see things, you know, uh, like, you know, these TikTok videos where it's like, you know, flashback to 2017 Fortnite kind of nostalgic look at when things were, you know, supposedly better. So anecdotally, I would say that, 
that it's just not as popular. It just doesn't have the same cultural relevancy. And to your point, there's a lot more competition now with uh, with uh, alternative games. So there's certainly that. And then from uh, the perspective of what Epic is doing, I actually think they're doing a lot of the right things. Like, you know, whether it's getting more developers onto Unreal through incentives, pushing their store, funding, you know, dev studios, and putting a lot of focus on Fortnite updates and live ops. So strategically, I think they are doing all the right things to, you know, kind of d- diversify outside of Fortnite and then to j- just try to improve Fortnite. So I think that's all great. Mishka? Yeah, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm, I'm looking more on the mobile side and I'm kind of interested in, in your in your take on it. So if you look at the mobile revenues, Fortnite has been relatively stable for, for quite a while right now. But what stable means, it's, it's actually below PUBG Mobile in terms of revenues quite significantly. It's below Garena Free Fire, which could come in as, an, as a surprise for people. And it's also well below right now to Call of Duty. So what do you, what do you guys... You know, what do you guys think the future will be, especially with the uh, launches? Well, now launches the Call of Duty, but in the future also launch of, of Apex Legends. Like, how does how does Fortnite compete against these games? And whether does it matter if, if some of these mobile hits are um, cross-platform or not? Uh, I don't think mobile is a major component for Fortnite. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think it's, of course, a material increase, but I just don't think they are focused on mobile as much as everybody else mm. is that a good thing or a bad thing uh right now it seems like even though they have pretty much an exact port of the game on mobile which i think is actually the right call right like if you think about call of duty uh PUBG and call and uh what's the other one apex well maybe not apex apex mm-hmm. isn't out yet but um the they all have Sorry, their no. own ecosystems and their own economies on mobile um, so it means that actually it's not really a connected experience. Exactly. Um, personally, like I, I think it's a better call to keep that connected experience because I think it's um, like, right, like keeping your stats. It just means that you're so retained to this game on your PC console. Um, and then when you're going over to your friend's house, you can keep all of your skins, keep all your things. So when you're connected local multiplayer, it actually matters to you um, where you can't really do that on mobile. It's almost like a full restart. Um, and that's kind of more of an artifact of, like Tencent working with Activision and Tencent working with Blue Hole. Um, but my sense is that actually Fortnite's better for that. But I still think that when given the option, players are more likely to be playing it on PC console. So that's kind of the artifact you see. Yeah. And I mean, Fortnite's a little down, but it's still a massive game, right? It's like, yeah. Like, we're, absolutely. We, we shouldn't be saying it's like we should give the right perspective, which is, is that it's still a, a massive hit. It's going to be around for the next five, 10 plus years, however long it's going to go. And we've already spoken in the past about how the audience with respect to like Apex and Call of Duty may not actually cannibalize as, as much Fortnite um, just because it's more of a kid's audience and things like that. So I, I personally think Fortnite's fine, but yeah, it's just, you know, we, it, it's in, it's in a different stage now. It's, it's stopped growing. It's past its peak, but it's still a massive, massive game. Yeah. Mm. Also, also you think about the demographics like on, on mobile versus PC console. Um, my sense is that you're getting a lot more of say the dad gamers on mobile than you are on PC console. Um, and mm-hmm. younger demographics are more likely to spend a lot more time on PC console. So that's probably why a lot more of the revenue goes there. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm assuming I mean, that, but yeah. 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 Because like, like Fortnite, it's, uh, yeah, you can't see their Google revenues cause they have their own app and, and, or own app store and, and, and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, um, it's just looking at these numbers. It's actually fourth in on mobile and, and, you know, I'm a dad gamer and I'd like to be, you know, more proficient in Fortnite, but yeah, yeah, I don't but, know. You, but so, you're gonna play Call of Duty much more than you're gonna play Fortnite. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. If somebody starts building bullshit in front of me like these goddamn walls, I'm out. I'm out. That's that's not a game I want to. <laughs> that's be playing. the line. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wanna I wanna hear headshot and I wanna hear that kind of stuff. So I am actually a Call of Duty player. I'm a proud Call of Duty player. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense, guys. So do you guys want to talk about the next step since, since I brought the mobile? Do you want to talk about the app revenues climbing 23% year over year? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So there was a, there was a interesting TechCrunch article and actually took data from Sensor Tower and App Annie. And if you, you know, jump into the article intro, it basically talks about the global app revenue continuing to climb thanks to the growth in mobile gaming and the subscription economy. And what it means by that is that mobile gaming is up quite significantly. So if we look at the mobile gaming number, actually, I'm just going to go through in, in chronological order and not, <laughs> not, and not kind of, you know, throw here and there. So, um, subscription services and, and, and games are up, uh, by 23% year over year from 17.9 billion to reach approximately $22 billion across the both app store and Google play. And notably, um, of course, app store brings, uh, 65% of the revenue. And if you look at overall graph, they've actually been bringing since 2013, they've been bringing between 69 to 64% of the revenues while uh, Play Store takes the rest. But when you look at the downloads, this is for all games and all the apps, you can actually see that the, uh, the amount of installs coming in from Google Play has been rising steadily year after year and is currently at 73% of all installs coming in worldwide. So nothing new there. All the installs are coming. Most of the installs are coming from Play, but most of the revenue is coming from App Store. Uh, the top money making, this company kind of brought in forward that Tinder is naturally the biggest one, the subscription-based uh, at 20, 233 million uh, of revenue and up by 7%. You've got Netflix at number two, YouTube at number three and so forth. But of course, we're mainly interested about games in this podcast. And the, the most important part that, that was said in this article is that mobile gaming continues to generate most of the cash. And it did so again in Q3 with $16.3 billion in mobile games revenue, or 74% of total in-app spending, the new report said. So the App Store accounted for you know, almost 10 billion of that figure while the Google Play was about 6.5 billion. And the game downloads across both Google Play and the App Store increased by 17.6% in Q3 from 9.5 billion last year to to 11.1 this year. And the three games that were mentioned as the biggest drivers of downloads were this fun race 3D, probably somewhere in China, the PUBG Mobile, Again, a big game in China and a newcomer, Mario Kart Tour, which hit 86 million downloads, despite only launching in September. And I reckon uh, Call of Duty will be there on the top list. And we talk, when talking about top, top grossing games, PUBG Mobile, of course, number one, with almost half a billion in revenue in, in the quarter. And, um, and um, you know, that's, that's roughly two times more than Tinder. And of course, Honor of Kings from Tencent, as, as well as the fake. Grand order, both generating 
between 350 and 370 million dollars in revenue. But that's the article, and and um, there was a lot, a lot of numbers. It's kind of hard to to summarize it into one because there's a lot of numbers about the market, but not a lot of analysis behind them. And the key takeaway that you could take from this article is that the mobile industry is booming, right? Um, well, not quite. So when you start looking more into the numbers and actually analyzing a little bit, you can start seeing that the number of games, not, not in this article, but when you start looking at other other sources, you can start seeing that the, uh, the number of games in App Store has grown very conservatively since 2006. In fact, the total submission of games peaked at around end of 2016. And since then, I mean, if you look at the graph, it's catastrophic. It's basically a, a drop in the, uh, in the amount of games that are entering the App Store. And since 2016, it has pretty much stayed the same with, uh, with around 800,000 games in the App Store. And the amount has been increasing roughly by 15,000 new games a year compared to 200,000 games that came in 2015 and in 2016. So it's safe to say that mobile gaming market has been in a very mature state for the past three years. And this has this means that there's an increase in games installed, that, that the increase in games installs are around 15% worldwide, while the consumer spend is actually increasing by 35%. And the time spent in on, on mobile device and, and in apps is increasing by 55%. So less installs, but more money spent and more time. And I was actually reading through Jeff Cohen's, who, who, uh, who has been on this podcast before. I was reading it through his Stevens report, and it's, it's quite great. And he talks about the barriers to entry on mobile are really coming in from the scale. And, and that means that the, um, almost anybody can enter the market, but it's actually the barrier to, to scale up is the biggest one. So he, he, uh, he points out three quite interesting um, ingredients uh, necessary for companies who are going to be winners in the mobile market. He talks about, first of all, the ability to scale user acquisition. This means being data savvy when it comes to acquiring users at scale and testing thousands of creatives rapidly with the goal of constantly optimizing your game's IPM. So basically what we do in, in mobile games. But also means data savvy also means the second reason is that you have to be good at live operation and showing the ability not to only sustain the market position that you acquire, but also grow that position from one update to another. And he, he talks, he points another interesting um, point, and that is diversified portfolio, where you have several games across a number of different genres as an in, important aspect of scale. And the need for this has been highlighted recently when we saw Glue experience difficulties due to challenges in their lifestyle games. And those challenges came in as we know, from matching to mansion and, and homescapes kind of going to war for players. So, um, yeah, so kind of to summarize all of this, we're, we're all really happy about the fact that, you know, when we look at these numbers, we're happy that there's less competitors entering the market and the size of the market in terms of dollars is increasing. But we often fail to recognize what these two factors mean in conjunction. So, and that, of course, is the rise of CPIs. And if we look at the numbers, again, it's from 2017 to 2019, the industry average CPI on both of the stores has increased from, from about 3.82 to 4.37. So about, about like a 30, 
20, 30% increase of the average CPIs. And, and this is, of course, due to not only the market situation, but also the organics getting weaker. And you can't really put that much emphasis on featuring. Now, we've seen players installing only about five games on average and only spending in two of them. And the competition, as mentioned before, for the same players has intensified, and that has led to a lot of price competition. So that's my take on this article with tons and tons of number. And my take is, of course, even more numbers. But what do you, what do you feel? Um, yeah, how do you interpret this one, JK? Yeah, so for me, I don't have a whole lot to say here, except I was surprised at seeing the continued kind of uh, revenue split between iOS and Google Play. And so the, the numbers there indicated about a two to one split. But mm-hmm. when I'm looking, so that's at the macro level, but you know, more at the ground level, looking at a lot of the games that I've been working on over the past few years, I've been seeing, uh, you know, I mean, it varies by game, but certainly closer uh, to, to, to even than, than the two to one split. Uh, but um, I don't know what you guys are seeing, but for, for me, it's not, it, does, it doesn't exactly mirror that, that, that macro level. And then, you know, to your point, it's great to see that overall numbers continue to, to increase from uh, installs and, uh, and monetization perspective. And to your point about game submissions, I, I do think that that's certainly a phenomenon that, you know, I've, I've heard other people talk about. Actually, Jeff Cohen had mentioned that before as well in terms of that, that significant drop-off from 2016 to 2017 when uh, total game submissions just basically fell off a cliff. And mm-hmm. probably something that it, it's, it's worth somebody like analyzing and studying that more and maybe doing like a, a podcast or a blog post about, you know, why, why that happened and, and, and exploring that in a little bit more detail. But yeah, that, that's all I have. Yeah. I wonder with uh, around that two to one ratio, how that happens because yeah, I also have the same experience with many of the top apps I've been working on are 50, 50. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's mainly because of the, uh, you know, geographies of the people with like, you know, Android phones relative to iOS phones, and then just the demographics of the people with iOS phones generally, you know, spending more than, than the folks with the, uh, with the Android phones. Yeah, you would, you would, in order to analyze this a little bit further, you would have to start pulling in country data. Uh, with the iOS and um, uh, Google split, and you would actually start seeing what JK was talking about. So you would see countries like and Malaysia and you know whatever whatever tier three countries. You would actually start seeing that those are dominated by by Google Play and um, and or Android devices, and and through that there's a very low monetization with very high uh, population. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely want to take a look at that. And in terms of like um, the the list list from Jeff, mm-hmm. um, like this all makes sense, especially the ability to scale UA in this kind of mature marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm morally just gawking at is just how how difficult that is, right? Like you think about just starting up a startup now and getting to the point that eventually you're even able to scale UA, you're able to build up the infrastructure that you're doing live ops at the same level as top competitors yep. within one game itself. Because I look at that third point there in terms of a diversified portfolio of games, and I think that's the most difficult. Yeah. Uh, because like you think of any strong studio um, and they build on their core competency, which typically means within the same genre, 
right? So then, then you're looking at eventually you have to turn into more of a publisher style model or like a Zynga model with, with Akihars where you're actually pulling exactly. in studios that you can get the diversification. Um, just that, that long list of stuff is incredibly difficult to hit. Yeah. And, and we have to, you know, assume, cause Jeff is really analyzing the big companies and I actually pulled the third element into a third element where he talks about uh, the diversified portfolio, because I thought that, that I think he mentioned that as a part of UA, but I think that's a separate thing. You can't be saying like, you know, UA is important. And by the way, if you have a lot of different games, the UA becomes easier. No, no, no. Having a lot of different games is strategy as itself, having games in different genres and different categories. So I think, I think those are the three elements and it is quite interesting, but you know, let's take an example of big publishers that are focusing on only one genre. Let's say like King, they're only doing puzzle games and, and only one type of puzzle games. And um, they've been kind of bombarded from, from all the direction with new competitors coming into their genre. They haven't been really able to jump off from, from there. They've tried a different things and they've, you know, shipped some really nice looking games like Paradise Bay and so forth. But they haven't really been able to move out and they're kind of, you know, shrinking despite being giant, but they're still being attacked from, from multiple directions by competitors. Yeah. Yeah. And I, personally, I think King's a great company and I, I think there's a lot of advantage of, of doubling down within that one genre. You think about how much King, even during when it was rising, how much it leapfrogged other competitors just because of, um, of that like complete focus on their core competency. And I think them focusing on things like machine learning and optimizations on the UA to actually grow those audiences bigger than anybody else. Um, that that's huge kudos to them. And I would say that, uh, you know, like in recent times, of course, they're trying to move out of that core competency, but this is just kind of business one-on-one innovators dilemma where if, if you've got a company that has been so steeped in casual match three games, it's incredibly difficult to jump into uh, another genre that's not, say, quite adjacent. Um, I was surprised that they weren't able to s- succeed in an adjacent casual genre, but I'm not surprised that they've been struggling with midcore. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and we're not jumping on King in any way. I mean, we we all are big fans of the company and and what they've done to be to be at this scale and such an influence. I mean, Candy Crush is still, I think, number two game in the world, eight yeah. years running or something like that. Okay, great. So jumping to the next article then. Uh, so Blizzard's president on making sure nothing changes by GameSpot. And this article from, from GameSpot is an interview with the recently appointed new president of Blizzard replacing legendary Mike Morheim, who is J. Allen Brack. And so J. Allen Brack, or Jab as he's called at Blizzard, was promoted at last year's BlizzCon and this article is basically an interview with him talking about, you know, the, the, the Blizzard business, the new products and things of that nature. It's a pretty good article to read. So I would, uh, I would recommend that you check it out. And, but for the sake of brevity, I just wanted to, to pull two interesting points from the interview with Jab, which I'll, I'll discuss right now. And the first point is that Jab talked about the backlash to Diablo Immortal, which started from BlizzCon of last year. And it feels that the way both he and GameSpot were actually interpreting the, the, the backlash is that they believe Blizzard fans were upset that Blizzard would launch a mobile game when their fans only want Blizzard to make PC games. And so as Jab puts it, it's not hard to understand the fan reaction of, 
I'm a Blizzard fan. Blizzard, just keep making PC games like you've always done, like I like. That will make me happy. And so for me, I actually don't think Jab gets it. I, I also don't think he paid attention to the really absolute sort of jerk off reaction by the guys on stage to their fans during BlizzCon when Diablo Immortals was, was announced. And so at least from my perspective, the attitude was pretty much like, hey guys, we're Blizzard, we're gods, go fuck off. Let us present <laughs> with our godly products when we say we're ready with it, right? And so, you know, it, it, you could tell the guys on stage were, were like, what are you guys, what are you guys saying? You know, you, <laughs> like where we're going to do it. So like, I don't know. And so I, I was a little bit disappointed in that. And so for me, in my view, I, I actually don't, and I, I can't speak, you know, on behalf of all Blizzard fans, but as a Blizzard fan, um, I believe that I actually don't think Blizzard fans in general mind a mobile game, but they just want to see that Blizzard is also working on a Diablo PC title as well. So if the announcement were, hey, we're going to have a new Diablo PC game, and by the way, we'll also have this mobile game, we partnered for it, and it's going to come out earlier, that would, in my opinion, have been a lot less controversial. And so... Yeah, if you look, sorry, if you look at um, Bethesda, right, yeah. and how they did um, Fallout Shelter, right, 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 that's exactly, right? right? That is yeah. the, that's the boilerplate of how you announce a mo mobile game. Like, look, guys, guess what, PC console guys? We're making a new game. It's coming out soon. But in the meantime, you can play this mobile game. And don't worry, it's not our focus. But it's kind of our focus. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. I, and that's a, that's a good example of how they, they probably should have done it. And also, I, I just think that Blizzard fans would probably prefer that Blizzard make the mobile game and not hand it over to a company like NetEase, which is known for more heavy-handed monetization, especially relative to what I would think the expectations of the core Blizzard audience are. And I don't know, the disappointing part of this is that one of the other things that Jab talked about was that Morheim picked him to be president because he wanted Blizzard to be a developer-led organization. And in all the talk about succession and values of Blizzard, the one thing that they didn't mention was the customer. And so for me, clearly, there seems to be a company and customer disconnect here. And just reading this article, it seems like it's, it's, it's going to continue. And the second point I wanted to make is I, I, I noticed that during this article, during this interview, Jab talked a lot in the sort of corporate doublespeak so common at the higher executive le level. So he was sidestepping a lot of questions with a lot of nonsense. And so I, I was a little disappointed by this. You know, I'd much prefer someone leading Blizzard who could speak directly and frankly not sort of pussyfoot around. Uh, one key example was actually a very good question from GameSpot about whether Activision would continue to allow Blizzard to make games like they used to, or will they essentially fuck with them? So especially, you know, especially if Activision wants to spend five to 10 years working on a title like they used to. And, and Jab, in response to this, basically gave us a typical corporate doublespeak, say nothing response which I personally can only interpret as yes, Activision is, is basically messing with Blizzard in a big way and Jab is so scared by Activision, he will basically just talk nonsense. So anyway, any thoughts from you guys? <laughs> I like that ending, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> there, so, you go Miska, you can go first. Um, okay, so I, I don't know, I kind of read these as a, as a press releases. I mean, uh, all, 
all the things that that come in like the, the what Jad is, is talking about they make a lot of sense so we kind of divide it into four different pieces like it starts off with nostalgic talk and you talk about bringing games people to executive team refocusing on core and focus on what has made blizzard great and which is our games and kind of like games games and more games people in the in the leadership team, people who have been making those classical games. Then he moves on, talks about values, that they are a value-driven and value-led company, that they prioritize gameplay first among all. They, they focus on delivering great player experience and great community focus for everything that we do, which is actually, JK, a very customer-driven approach, uh, if I may say. And, um, and that he refocuses more on, on the values and how customers actually at the center of those values. Um, as, as a member of community. Then it goes to the third piece, which is the IPs and genres. And that's when, when you're talking about, did you say pussy feet? Or pussy what footing. was it? Pussy, pussy, pussy footing. footing. I've never heard that kind of, I mean, I'm not a native English speaker, but that is a fantastic term. Uh, so pussy footing uh, around uh, the IPs and genres. So basically the question is, are they doing mobile? Are they doing PC? Are they doing console? But he refers back to IPs and, and each of them is built to have and constructed to really support a lot more, not only different platforms, but different types of games and different genres of games. So that's a really nice way to, to kind of draw everything back to the IPs. And a final element uh, that he talks about is how do they make games? And this is, uh, this is, you know, fantastic. He talks about the history with Mike Morheim. He talks about, you know, that they're not making games based on portfolio thinking like, hey, Blizzard should make a game insert type of game here. That's not how Blizzard works. It works in team of developers who really are passionate about a particular idea or a particular genre are given the space to create and not iterate and deliver something that they think can be excellent. And that's how it's been. And that's how it is today. And that's how it always will be. So he kind of goes back to that this is Blizzard and Blizzard always being the same. And they refer to the project Titan, which became Overwatch and just that gruesome uh, pivoting uh, long project that ends up in success. And he talks about that that's the way it is. Now, because I read it as, as this sort of a well thought out uh, press release that is in a form, or not a press release, but a press piece that is in form of, um, in form of almost not not a blog post like Supercell had, but but almost like an like an interview with um, with a games interviewer, which of course we know are are very well edited, and there's a PR team and so forth. So I think I think it's interesting to me that a lot of um, a lot of executives are doing this, and I'm actually really happy, and I hope that they would be doing more of these, and I'm hoping that they would do podcasts and stuff like that because I think it's fascinating to listen and or to read these sort of a long uh, talks uh, on, on how they view their company. And it kind of makes the, you know, the company more, I don't know, approachable, but I, I really liked it. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't read it like a, like the truth of what's going on and everything, but I, I really like what I read. So I actually liked the article. I know JK hated it because he was at one <laughs> BlizzCon and he saw a couple of guys kind of, you know, fuck everybody off and showing Diablo 3. But I don't judge Dia like Blizzard based on that one piece. I think Blizzard is fantastic. I'm still a fan and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I see this as a lot of corporate speak. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I agree a lot with uh, with JK. 
Um, yeah, yeah, that's what I said. It is corporate speak. It's just, it's, it's fun. Like it's, it's obvious that this is what they they have to do, right? Like, there's a lot of shakeups happening at Blizzard. They want to, you know, sure up the base, sure up their devs to say that, like, we aren't going to be changing fundamentally. But as JK says, like, there's still clear signs that Activision is getting in the weeds here, right? Activision is getting involved. Um, so time will tell about the real actions of this company beyond just this blog post, right? And I think uh, BlizzCon comes up in less than a month now, right? Like two weeks. Yep. So I'm really excited for that. I, I think that will really be telling about who this new Blizzard will be um, more than this blog post. Mm. All right. Playable Worlds. Playable Worlds. Okay, so... Um, Raf Koster, uh, he's a famous MMO designer, um, also wrote a book called Theory of Fun, um, does a lot of really, really great GDC talks. Um, if if uh, you have time, I definitely recommend going into the GDC vault and, and listening to his talks. Um, actually just recently got funding for his new, play, or his new startup called Playable Worlds. Um, article goes into how differently they want to think about retention and engagement. And I think this is really kind of the focus that I want to talk about. Uh, less like a startup sounds great, but I just want to talk about this engagement stuff. Um, so here's his quote. When we were designing those games back then, referring to MMOs in the 2000s, we weren't thinking in terms of how do we get players to come back daily in order to increase our day two or day seven return rate, which is sort of the metrics driven way of thinking of things. We didn't approach it that way. We were always thinking we need this person to come back next month to that next expansion. I think that's kind of the example with MMO games where um, really it was very expansion driven, just trying to drive adoption to that. And he argues that developers overall should be driven more uh, about thinking about re-engagement on longer timeframes rather than retrofitting designs that are trying to pull players back every single day. Um, talks a lot about uh, deep crafting systems, talks a lot about um, expansion design. Um, my take on this is that Personally, I respect Raf Koster quite a bit. Um, as I said, Theory of Fun and a lot of his GDC talks have inspired me quite a bit. Um, but this uh, this kind of like high-level idea of how to treat engagement, I feel um, is just a bit naive and altruistic instead of an actual sound business practice. Uh, I'll give him one point. Um, like day-by-day -day retention definitely does not fit all developers. Um, especially games that don't actually follow a tried and true, say, engagement path. Best examples I would actually put is things like episodes and choices. Um, they have a very, very different engagement model and retention profile than most games do, which actually lends more towards looking at these like longer-term return rates that he's talking for, uh, about. This makes sense given their audience, um, but it's definitely not worth. It's not not comparable for most games. And I would definitely point to a long list of studies and analysis, a lot of them, of course, within private companies, but really most mobile free-to-play companies have looked at this in terms of looking at retention, um, that the longer a player actually goes without playing your game or is less engaged with their, their game, the less likely they are return. Whenever you look at like churn models, it's pretty much looking at, oh, they are dropping engagement, so that's the biggest indicator we have that they're going to churn as well as the more playtime you're actually driving from player, that engagement actually translates into higher retention overall, as well as higher uh, arc out or engagement style economies when you actually are, are paying per engagement. Um, so all the data that I've seen completely counters this. And I can see where he's coming from, like MMOs in the 2000s were like used to these big content drops. 
to pull players back. And engagement didn't actually have to last in between those two drops. It really was just about engaging enough that players, you know, brought in enough friends that they would get excited about that next big drop and then try to drive as much adoption to that as much as possible. Um, but to be honest, I think that model's pretty broken, especially if you look at Destiny and Bungie over the last year, or just how costly these expansions have become um, and just how low that adoption, because I think it's just a risky path to follow to assume that you can retain players in this climate by not actually giving them compelling reasons to come back day to day or week to week. Um, because the time that they're not playing your game, they'll be playing a competitor who actually does this type of engagement where their friends actually are, increasing that chance that they're sharing for good from your game. And I would just say it's business 101. It's easier to retain a customer than to purchase, purchase a new one. But for games, it's easier to retain an active player than to re-engage re an old one than to repurchase or to, to purchase a new one. Just look at Fortnite or Apex, as we talked about before. The cost of content to keep active players playing, like daily tasks or battle pass, versus actually try to re-engage players by you know building an entirely new map, which is very costly, or characters, versus bringing a whole new player in, which as we talked about, CPI is constantly on the rise. The cost to actually pull these players in, the farther they are away from your game and the longer they've been away from your game, the more costly that content gets to in order to actually do that. So this is my take. Uh, JK? Yeah, I am... I wasn't familiar with Raf Koster. I, I don't know him. I would assume someone like Eric Kress probably does, but he does seem, just looking at his background, he does seem to have a good background and probably as good as you know anyone else out there to be working on a new breed of MMO. I, so I actually applaud the effort to try something new. And I think you know, the, other, the other way of, of, of thinking about how he was talking about engagement metrics um, could be, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure, is that maybe he's talking more about not so much the metric themselves, but putting in mechanics and tactics to artificially drive those metrics up. And so if it's from that perspective, I would say that, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. But to your point, Adam, I, I agree with you that you know, it's super important to human beings are creatures of habit. And so having some type of ritual, whether it's a daily ritual or a weekly ritual or on whatever, you know, time cadence that you're, you're on that you, that it, the games that perform the best are the ones that have those, um, you know, highly ingrained in, into players. And, uh, but I'd also say that there are some games where you've got very poor early retention, but day 365 retention could be very good so it's it's hard to to work on games like that but that's generally more to do with having a bad top of funnel and having a, a, a small sort of hardcore audience that you know that will that you'll see that hardcore player audience revenue stack over time but in terms of the actual type of product that they're going to work on that part seemed a bit you know very vague to me it, it seemed like he was talking about the thesis being around providing non-combat related activities for players. And he mentioned crafting as an example. So I'm not sure what that could be. I, I, I kind of, you know, theoretically understand that, but conceptually think that it seems like most people are interested in, in, in battle or different variations of battle. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think the crafting thing he's referring to, um, he talks about it in one of his GDC talks. Okay. Um, uh, essentially, he feels like one of the big innovations in MMO design is 
uh, focusing a lot on building a pretty complicated crafting tree in order to build things. And the best example is actually Minecraft, um, right. where like, I, I'm, I'm sure, like, I'm not sure if you've played, but um, yeah, they get you crafting a lot of these kind of high-end items in order to build the structures that you yeah. want to build. Is quite yeah, that, that, I mean, I, I get that part. Like, you know, and it, it, you know, we, we see that in free-to-play too, right? Like with games like Homescapes or Gardenscapes, that there's, you know, some kind of meta system where you've got some progression being dumped outside of the gameplay. And so whether it's that or even RPG progression mechanics or pets or whatever. So, so that, that part makes sense. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see if he comes up with something completely different that's super exciting for people. <laughs> Mishka? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've, I read it in a way that you know, Raph, Raph has a big name and he, uh, he has a name where he can call his shots. So, so basically, you know, it's a new company, new approach, and you kind of have to start off with, with your own bold statement that separates you from the pack. And I, I read it in that way. And I think I, I totally believe that he believes in what he's saying. And this is, uh, this is an approach that is interesting. It's a little bit different than it, there is in the market, and then they will test it out. So, so we'll see. But well, I, I only see this as, as a kind of like a differentiation. Yeah, right. There's there's investor pitch, but would you ever start a game that basically says we're not going to focus on day by day retention, we're going to focus on month to month retention retention? Well, I mean, come on, come on, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, for an MMO, it might make sense to go more week by week. You know. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I'm absolutely fine with week to week, especially given PC console engagement patterns. But yeah. Um, it's a yeah it, months to month especially if you've got nothing driving between it no yeah, yeah and, and <laughs> I, I would say like i wouldn't do it just because of well just because i wouldn't do it but but the other approach is just it's it's there's so many small wins that are nice to have in the beginning of your live operations journey when you start off from that day one and you know optimizing the fatui for different audiences and, and you start getting the players to day one day three day seven it's kind of like these are smaller goals, but if you right away put it at D30 and D60 and D90, you have to have balls to start thinking about that, that kind of a big things. And you might have some early assumptions, but you want to start iterating. You want to start get those early wins. That's, that's why I like, that's why I like, you know, looking at the first, you know, those first retention numbers first, and then kind of moving on to the bigger things and, and, um, and really uh, proving your unique selling points. All right. Well, I think that's it, guys. We that's... are done with Twig Fifty Two. Unless you've got any other concluding remarks, and that yeah, and we were with Eric without Eric Crest because he'd been ranting too much, so we wanted to have a uh, <laughs> little quiet. No, 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 not really. Uh, Eric, uh, Eric had a basketball thing, so he'll be back next week. Yep. Pumped, pumped, excited, and angry because we didn't <laughs> talk about Call of Duty, and he's been fuming. He's been fuming. Barely, barely even, even like spending time with his kids basketball, fuming over Call of Duty, but we'll get him back next week. So, so please return. He'll be twice as, as powerful. Sounds good. All right, guys. Catch you later. Bye.